Hey, you know, around here, we're pretty stinking proud of our pastor, Pastor Petzl. And we would tell you that Pastor Petzl is the very best pastor you could have. What's interesting is that there are two other congregations that would say their Pastor Petzl is the best <laughs> Pastor true. Petzl you could have. Uh, this is Tim. This is Tim. This is Nate's brother, Tim. And he is here. Nate is away this Sunday. And Tim is here to share the gospel with us. And I have to tell you that I have just had a, a lot of fun traveling with Tim. I've come to recognize him as one of the most deeply, profoundly funny people I've ever known. Uh, he, and he has an ability, though, that I see it in all walks of his life, where uh, just in personal conversation, but really in opening up the scriptures and getting right to the chase, cutting to the meat. And so would you join me in welcoming Pastor Tim Petzl with us this morning? Thank Thanks, you, Tim. Glenn. Sure, appreciate that. Oh, what a joy to be with you today. Um, you are my second favorite church in the world. Um, so thanks for being a great second place. Uh, I love my church. I get the privilege to pastor a church in Stanwood, Washington, about an hour north of Seattle. Uh, Nate and Jenny and their family send their greetings. Uh, big, big moments in their life. Uh, they got the privilege to, uh, to marry their oldest daughter uh, this, uh, this past month. And, and then their oldest son, Luke, he just uh, graduated from basic training camp, joining the Navy. So they were there uh, for that celebration this weekend. And uh, as uncle... Uh, really involved in these kids' lives since they were so small. I'm having big feelings. I can't imagine mom and dad, Nate and Jenny, who are having bigger feelings than Uncle Tim about big changes as kids grow up, but so proud of them. Well, today we're in a series called Radical Grace. And grace is this big, huge concept about God's love and his mercy and his grace for us. If, if, if you're a Bible person or a church person, you might have heard this. It's God's unmerited favor. It's nothing that we do and it's all from God. It's God's grace and his mercy and his love and relationship and acceptance he gives us. And we bring absolutely nothing to the table. And God's grace is just so amazing and it's right and it overwhelms us. And as we talk about grace, I wonder if you have your Bibles, if you turn to the, the book of Jeremiah, an Old Testament book uh, written by a man who was a prophet. God used, had used and continues to use men and women to speak on his behalf. That's what a prophet is, someone who's a spokesperson for God. And in the midst of, of, of history, in the midst of God's people, the nation of Israel, they're continuing to make bad choices. And so God has to send prophets to warn them and say, hey, turn back to God. Be obedient to what God has asked you to do. And even the Old Testament, we see this, that, that God wants to bless his people. He wants to give them grace. He wants to give them relationship but something in them is prone towards going their own way. And the prophet Jeremiah warns them time and time again and says, please turn to the Lord, repent, walk the way that God has for you, turn back to the Lord. And unfortunately, history tells us, the biblical narrative tells us that God's people intentionally chose to walk away from God. And as a result of that intentional choice, there was consequences if you read the story, the, the nation of Israel, God's people, the kingdom was divided. The kingdom was sent into captivity. There were really detrimental choices for them choosing, making decisions to walk away from God. And for all of us, we, we have the same decision that the ancient people of the scripture have. We have decisions, choices to make, whether we step into the grace that God has for us or we choose to walk our own path. We choose to walk away from the Lord. 
And as, as a pastor, and I talked to Nate about this, and every pastor I talk to, the number one question that people ask about their faith, about their spiritual journey is, how do I know God's will for my life? I ask that question often. Anybody else with me? Like, man, how do I know what God wants me to do? One other person. Thanks for agreeing with me. I appreciate that. But we all, right? We all want to know, how do I know what God wants me to do? Boy, I want to be a person of faith. I want to follow God, but I wish God would just show up like he did in the Old Testament and angels and just tell me specifically what to do. And very rarely does God speak that way. I, I don't know if I've ever really heard God's audible voice tell me what to do. So it gets this tension of how do I make wise decisions? But the decisions that we make today, this is kind of the thing I want you to remember, the decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. The decisions that we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. The people that the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to, their story is a story of captivity and sorrow because they chose to walk away from God. And you and I, we still have those, the decisions we make are some some of our lives are the decisions that we've made. And I think I've been thinking more about my future. And as I'm getting older, this year I had a birthday that ended with a zero. You know how it just kind of makes you think about things. And, uh, and I've been thinking, what, what do I want my life to be when it's all said and done? And I've been kind of dreaming and thinking about this. That maybe one day I'll be fortunate enough to be like at a family reunion. And my wife, Anna, is just the most amazing woman in the world. And our three kids will be there. Maybe they're spouses. And our grandkids will be there. And if we're fortunate enough, maybe our great-grandkids will be there. And I think about the story that I want to tell them. The story of, of the decisions, the choices that their old grandpa made. Decisions that, boy, produced health and life in them. And decisions that allowed us as a family to sit around and talk about a legacy of what God has done in us. I'm starting to think about the future, and the reality is the choices we make today determine our ability to tell those kind of stories. Just a few weeks ago, our middle child, he turned 14 years old, and uh, he, he wanted to have a bunch of his friends over for a sleepover. And if you've ever had a bunch of teenage boys, it is just wild and crazy and smelly. And so we were smart enough that we set up a tent in the backyard and ran an extension cord with a TV and video games, and they were fine. It was just great. They could just be out there and have fun. And, um, and I kind of went in to check them. It was midnight. I was tired. I was ready to go to bed. And all of a sudden, all of them came in because they got hungry. I don't know if you've ever raised teenagers, but we call it fifth meal, where just about between 10 and midnight, they get hungry for some more food. And so one of these young men comes in, and, uh, and he's recently started coming to our youth group. Some of my son and his friends have invited him and really has no church background. It kind of comes from a, a tough situation. And, uh, and he comes to me and he says, oh, Pastor Tim, nobody calls me Pastor Tim, especially in my kitchen at midnight. I'm ready to go to bed. And he's like, oh, Pastor Tim, I'd really like a, a ham sandwich. And I'm like, okay. And so I start making him a ham sandwich. And then just, it was just a, a surreal experience. He's sitting across the counter in our kitchen and he goes, um, unfortunately, I missed the week that you came and spoke to the middle school group about sex and dating. Our, our middle school pastor asked me to come and talk to the kids about sex and dating, which you can come do that anytime you want. It is a fun journey. And he goes, I, I missed that conversation. And then no joke, he says, what was the premise of your talk? <laughs> I'm thinking, hey, it's midnight. I'm ready for bed. And, and, and I go, well, what do you think? What do you think a middle schooler should think about sex and dating? He goes, well, 
you know, it's, it's, you should practice a lot and date a lot of people and make all your mistakes and, and really, you know, it's because the stakes are so low and it's really, I'm like, oh, interesting. I go, well, you know, I think the premise of my talk was a little different. I think God and the scriptures tell us that um, we actually date to mate, to find a mate, someone that God would, would, would connect us to for a lifetime. And, uh, and so, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really think that, you know, unless you're going to get married in the next 18 months as a 14-year-old boy, I don't, I don't really see the point in dating. He goes, uh-oh, you're not going to like me because I date a lot of girls. I was like, oh, really? He goes, but it's good, Pastor Tim. I only date them one at a time. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Great young man, and, and, and I'm kind of like laughing inside at this moment, and nobody calls me Pastor Tim, so it's just hilarious to have this kid in my living room in the kitchen making him a hand sandwich with spicy brown mustard. Uh, and I realized, though, that this is a, a big moment, that I kind of have an opportunity to speak into this young man's life. And, and so I, I asked him a question. I said, well, what, what story do you want to tell your kids 30 years from now when maybe you have a 14-year-old in your home? Do you want to tell your son that I dated a lot of girls, but I only dated them one at a time, and I made tons of mistakes? Or do you want to tell them the story that says, son, I want to tell you that the day I met your mother, I knew that God had something amazing for us as we began a friendship. And I I had saved myself for your mother. And it is an honor and a privilege of my life that I love your mom so much and that you're one of our children. I love it. I want God's best for you. And he looks at me and goes, well, I've never thought of it that way before. And then took his sandwich sandwich out into the backyard. (laughs) But isn't it true that whether we're 14, I think a lot of us look back at those early years of our lives and we realize that we made decisions that have had a huge impact on the story we tell. And whether you're 14, 44, or 94, the decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell. And one of the things that that, that often can happen when we talk about decision-making is we tend to look in the rearview mirror and have a lot of regrets. But one of the things I want to tell you, you cannot do anything about what you had for breakfast. You can't do anything about the decision you made last night. But here's the good news. Here's the hope of the gospel. Here's the grace of God. Is the best decision you can make is the next one. The best decision that you can make is what happens this afternoon and Monday morning where you can step into the grace of God and make wise choices that lead you and enable you to tell a story in the future of God's grace and mercy in your life. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, this passage that we're going to read, this, this short passage has, has really become my life verse. It's engraved on the inside of my wedding ring. It has affected all of the choices that I've made in, in my life. And it, it came to me very early. I was very fortunate. Uh, my mother and father, who serve on staff here at the church, just, just loved and discipled us and showed us to Jesus in such an amazing way. And I remember I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and we were on a family vacation to Yellowstone up from Colorado where we were raised, and uh, we, we were looking at this hiking book of all the trails and guides, and just as a, as a young boy, I remember looking at that book, and on the back cover, on, on the back cover was a, uh, 
was a scripture. I think the people who wrote that book were, 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 were God-fearers. And it was this passage out of Jeremiah. And God used that to grab my heart. And it has been part of my story ever since. And so if there's something from my story that I can use to share with you about what God has done in me and through me, I'd sure love to share it with you today. In Jeremiah 6.16, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask for the good way and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your soul. And just out of this little passage, which is found in the context of a warning to God's people to turn back to him, Jeremiah speaks the truth. And I think there's some principles here that have really shaped how I make decisions and I'd love to share with you today. And it's just these three simple principles. To stand, to ask, and to walk. And it's a cross that you can remember. Saw. Say that together. Saw. If you really want to make great decisions, I think we need to learn to stand, we need to learn to ask, and we need to learn to walk. And so the prophet says this. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Part of all of our lives is we need to learn that we are at crossroads. That the decisions we make have huge impacts on the stories we tell tomorrow, on our future. And many of us, we have just been, we, we've never had a moment in a kitchen at midnight over a ham sandwich where someone's given us a future, where God, someone's spoken to our lives to help us to be wise in our decision-making. And we have to learn as followers of Jesus, if you are serious about being a Jesus follower, you have to learn to recognize the important crossroad moments that we face. Moments when the decisions that we make will have huge will have outcomes in our lives. I don't know the word I'm looking for there. But they matter. The decisions that we make matter. And I don't know if you're a church person, but if you've been around church for any length of time, you may have heard somebody say this really simple phrase. When someone asks them about being a part of something or about a decision, and someone says a simple phrase, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. And I'll be honest, sometimes I've used that because I don't want to say no to people, and it's much easier to blame God than to just say no. But really the power of a simple statement that, like that that says, let me pray about it. Think about the power of that. That in our lives we have free will, we have the ability to make decisions. And that we would call a timeout, recognize that we are standing at a crossroads and saying, hold on. I want to consider God's thoughts, God's opinion, and God's view about what's happening right now. That is a life-altering worldview moment. When you say, let me pray about it. Let me talk to God about what he has in store for me. And maybe for some of us, that would be a brand new way of thinking, a brand new way of making decisions and saying, this is a big deal. I have to actually consider God. But I've learned in my life that in those crossroad moments, it can be easy to just move ahead to go the path of least resistance, to just go with what's in front of us, but to take a moment to call a time out and let God speak to us. To say, let me pray about that. To slow down our decision-making, to allow God to intervene and to direct our paths. Now, 
we, we all make decisions in different ways. I think there's just kind of three ways that we're wired to make decisions. First of all is the overthinker. I call him the overthinker over, or, the, or the analyzer. Um, we have one of them as one of our children. And it's very frustrating to go to a restaurant and order food. Because there's so many choices that they get stuck. And the funny thing, they end up ordering the same thing every time. Right? Over and over. Chicken strips. Doesn't matter if we're high class or low class. Chicken strips. But it takes 37 minutes to come to that conclusion. Oh, and then the sauces. Do I want honey mustard today? What are the choices again? Sweet and sour. And they always end up with ketchup. And it's just so frustrating. You're like, come on. We don't have time for this. We have all decided and you're just stuck. Now, some of us, that way, anybody got one of those in their family? Just kind of an overthinker, an analyzer. We get stuck in making decisions. It can be hard at those moments. Maybe some of us are wired like this. I, I call them a head turner. That when it comes to, to making a decision, they kind of turn around and say, what's everyone else doing? What's everyone else doing? Because some of us are wired this way. That the worst thing that could ever happen to us in our whole lives is for the attention to be pointed at us. Even for good things. We don't want to stand out. We just want to blend in. And that's not a bad thing. Watch the Discovery Channel. The zebra that stays with the herd survives. <laughs> it's the one at the front or it's the one at the back that the lions get. And some of us are just wired that way. We just kind of don't want to stand out. And then maybe some of us are like this. I think this is kind of how I'm wired. Is we go with our gut. We're an instinctual decision maker. We can kind of just see, we just kind of have a gut feeling on what we should do. But one of the things I've had to relearn is I've let God be involved in my decision making process is that I can't always trust my gut. Because have you ever gotten gas? Sometimes your guts don't work. <laughs> right? So sometimes we have to learn. Say, okay, God, whatever. So however you're wired in decision making, standing. For those of us who are overwhelmed, perhaps it's saying, okay, God, I'm giving you a moment here, but I'm going to take the step forward. For those of us who just want to stay with the crowd, we say, okay, God, am I in the right crowd? And those of us who are instinctual, just saying, taking a moment and saying, all right, Lord, I, I want you to speak to me because I realize I'm not always right and I can't always trust myself. And when it comes to making decisions, when we're at these crossroads, when we're at these big moments, so often we get stuck and overwhelmed and bogged down in the details. We want to know the who, what, when, where, how, the financial plan. We want to know all these things. And if you read the scriptures, you see that often God doesn't give the details. Throughout the Bible, when God shows up and asks people to do big things, I think of Mary, an angel shows up and says, you're going to be with child. You're going to give birth to Jesus. And she looks at the angel and she asks the detailed question, how can this be because I haven't been with a man? And the angel gives this really unhelpful answer. The spirit of the Lord will overshadow you. How does that work? Abraham, the great hero of the Old Testament. An angel shows up. God tells him and says, hey, go to the land. I'll show you. And Abraham's, uh, do you have GPS coordinates? Can I uh, Google map that? And God says, no, just take a step and I'll show you. Because here's, here's what I've learned and here's what the scriptures teach us. Is that God is more concerned with who you are becoming 
than about what you are doing. God is more concerned with who you are becoming than what you are doing. And many times we think that God is consumed with what I'm doing. I, I get it, that what we do matters. But who we are, who God is shaping us, our character, the things that are on the inside that no one sees, God is consumed that we are becoming more like him. The book of Thessalonians teaches us that God's biggest mission for our life is that we would be holy like God is holy. God's more concerned with who you are becoming than what you are doing. And I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. Perhaps you just find yourself here today kind of at the beginning. Perhaps you've been a Jesus follower for a long time. But if you're serious about being a disciple, if you're serious about being a Jesus follower, you have to learn to make decisions that disciples make. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you have to make decisions that Jesus followers make. We all have to learn that these crossroad moments, we've got to call a time out and stand and say, God, I want you to be involved in my decision-making process. And then the prophet tells the people, he says, stand at the crossroads and look. And then he says this, and ask for two things. Ask for the ancient path and ask for the good way. This, this ancient path thing, I think, is what grabbed my heart as a young man and has been so helpful for me over the years in making decisions. Is that sometimes in our world, doesn't it feel like God is absent you think, God, where are you in the midst of this? God, how come I can't hear your plan? But I've learned to trust and rely on the God who was and is and will ever be. This summer, um, we, we had the privilege of kind of getting extended sabbatical away from our ministry assignment. And one of the things our wife, my wife and I really wanted to do, uh, we started planning five years ago, is we wanted to take our kids to Europe and see some of the great historical sites. And one of the big objectives that we had as we walked into these grand cathedrals and, you know, we're in Rome at the Vatican and seeing the history of the church and, and seeing where the Apostle Peter is potentially buried. Like, I wanted my kids to know that people have been following Jesus for a long time. Because in the culture that we live in that is quickly becoming a post-Christian post society, they can feel like the oddballs. They can feel like they're the ones who are out. And I want them to know that the gospel has endured for 2,000 years. That God has a plan and the gospel will endure. And so many Christians today, we're freaked out. We're thinking, where is God? What's going on? And I'm telling you, we need to remember the God who is the alpha, the one at the beginning and the omega, the one who's at the end. If you read the biblical narrative, it starts with Genesis, with God creating everything. And it ends with God winning in the end. In the middle, God says, I've got it. I'm with you. And sometimes we forget that. And I know just even for my generation, the way I'm wired, and I think the generation that's following me, there is this immense pressure to be revolutionary. There's this immense pressure to be entrepreneurial, to think thoughts that no one has ever thought before. And it's a huge pressure that I don't think we're meant to take. Because the Bible teaches us that actually the book of Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. If you're a student of history, 
you realize that history kind of repeats itself. Every generation lives out their life in different ways, but the patterns and the principles tend to repeat themselves. We need to remember that God was posting Instagram photos before there was an Instagram. That God was posting his creation. Because we live in this world where we see kind of these, you know, social, we see the best of people's lives. We see these snapshots of people at their best moment. We don't see them after they got out of the shower. That's gross, right? We see them, you know, when everything's looking good. And so we can feel this pressure that somehow I have to live that and be on the cutting edge. And there's scriptures, the psalmist, Psalm 139. Here's what he says. This brings such comfort to me. Psalm 139. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unframed body, unformed body. All my days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would be outnumbered the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And I hear that and it makes me take a deep breath and say, You've got it, God. You're sovereign. There are ancient paths that you have laid out before the foundations of the earth. When I was still in the secret place, knit together in my mother's womb, God, you were involved in who I was and whom I'm becoming. And it brings comfort into my life versus the sense of I've got to find, I've got to make my own way to know that God, before the foundations of the earth, has laid out ancient paths for us to walk. Principles that can shape how we live and think. And the prophet says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path. And then he says, ask for the good way. And I think the good way is this. The good way is where we ask men and women, wise people who are a little ahead of us in our story, we ask them for their opinion, their ideas. We allow people to give input into our decision-making process. Men and women of faith who can help us to make wise decisions. I'm so fortunate and so blessed to have, you know, an older brother like Nate when, when I'm Hey, Nate, what, would you, what did you do, man? You're, you're a couple years ahead of me. You're leading a church. I'm in the same position. What would you do? I have a dad, a mom I can call and say, what do you guys think? Last night, we're driving around after they took me out to dinner, and I'm asking decisions about things that I have to make when I go home about leading my church because they pastored a church. And you know what? Even as a kid sitting in the back seat of the car in my 40s, I want my mom and dad to tell me what to do, but they can't. So what they have to do and what people, wise people, we have to allow people to speak principles into our lives. Because their story is not my story. Your unique circumstances no one else has lived out before. But let me tell you, there are principles that we all can learn from the scriptures. There's principles that we can learn from each other. And then there's principles that we can learn from the stories of men and women in faith who have gone before us. I've just kind of learned so much over these last few years from reading biographies 
of, of our church forefathers, of men and women who have gone before us. It has helped shape my thinking and remind me about principles. Because you know what? We want people to tell us what to do. And if someone tells you what to do, they're probably a cult leader. <laughs> but, but really what we need is we need wise people to give us principles. And upon the principles and the things of God, the good ways of God that people have seen to be fruitful, we can build that. It can be part of our decision-making process where we realize we're at a crossroads. We stand and then we ask, God, what's the ancient path? And then what's the good way? We often look at successful people and we think that it was one big decision that led them to that point. And we call them an overnight success. But if you've ever read a, a biography or a story of someone that we perceive as an overnight success, what their story is is this, is years of toiling away in a garage when no one saw. Years of consistent good decisions until the culture recognized them as a success. It's true of anybody. If you see someone who has a really healthy marriage or someone who you think, man, I really respect the way that they've parented and raised their kids. If you go and ask them, they're not going to tell you that, well, one day we just decided to have a great marriage and it, became, it went from bad to good. They're not going to tell you that, oh, one day so we, when we were, our kids were 15 years old, we decided that we actually needed to parent them. And all of a sudden they turned out great. No, what you're going to hear is stories of year after year, day after day, making good, faithful, wise, obedient decisions to the Lord. That marriages that you admire that realize that, boy, we, we, we tried some things and we realized it didn't work, so we had to get some help. We had to get some wisdom in us to help to relearn how to love each other well. If you talk to parents, they say, oh, man, from those early days, we had a, we had a story that we wanted to tell. And so we started shaping and disciplining and, and discipling and helping shape our children so that they could be all that God intended them to be. Following Jesus is not just a moment where you raise your hand and say yes. It's in the grind of daily decisions. It's in the grind of making decisions that disciples make to truly be who God has called us to be. We, we stand at crossroads. And we look, we ask for the ancient path. We ask for the good way. And then the prophet, he says this, I love Jeremiah. He, he tells us the promise if we do that. And the promise is this. If you walk in it, you will find rest for your soul. You will find rest for your soul. And if you were to go on and read the, the rest of the book of Jeremiah, you would hear a story of God's people. They knew all the truths of God. They knew what they were supposed to do. They had been warned. They had been given the instruction. They knew the ancient path. They knew the good way. But there was something in them that said, we know the way we're supposed to go but we want to go our own way. And as a result of that decision, there was consequences of captivity and being conquered. And we can look at the Israelites and we can think, why did they do that? But the story is true for us. Every day, you and I, we may know what we're supposed to do. We may know the ancient truths of God. We may know the good way. 
But knowledge doesn't get you too far. It's not until we make the conscious decision to walk in the ways that God has for us. And then the prophet says this, and you will find what rest for your soul. You will find peace. And you know why I think so many Christians are so anxious? So many people who claim to be Jesus followers, but there's anxiety and there's just angst in us. is because we may know the right things to do. We may know the ancient truths of God. We may know the good way. But there's something in us that is prone to want to go our own way. And there is no rest on that path. And the promise of God, if you and I would trust the process, to be faithful, to be obedient to the things that God called us to, there's peace, there's rest that comes with it. I don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain before. But, but very often when you're climbing a mountain, you'll see the summit way off in the distance. And you think, okay, if we're going to climb that mountain, we're going to go straight up to the summit. But often the trail is leading you right here, and you're walking mile after mile, and you're thinking, that's where we're supposed to go. Why am I walking seven miles this way? And, and kind of the way I'm wired, I'm like, I want to bushwhack. I want to get there. I want the easy way. I want the fastest route. But I've learned in my decision making, just like I've learned in hiking mountains, that I got to trust the process. And I got to realize that someone went ahead of me and cut a trail for me. And if I follow the trail, you know what? We'll curve around and I'll come over this ridge. And I couldn't see it now. I couldn't see it then. But when we got over the ridge, I saw, oh, look at that. There's the path that gets to the summit. And actually, if I would have gone there, I would have not been able to climb the cliff and never would have made it to where I wanted to go. You've got to trust the process, even when it feels like you're going the wrong way. It feels like you're not getting where you want to go because there are men and women, there's God himself who has laid out a plan for you. And our responsibility is to walk that path. And unfortunately, when it comes to decision-making, here's the most difficult part. Is we can never be sure of the outcomes. That's why decision-making is hard. Because we can't see the future. We never know what the outcome of our decision will be. There are no sure things. But it's where the rubber meets the road in our faith. When we choose to say, God, I may not understand right now, but I'm choosing to walk in the way that you have, to walk in the ancient path, to walk in the good way. And let me tell you, it won't always be easy, but even in the challenging big things that God asks you to do, I can promise you this, that God will be with you and God will give rest for your soul. God will give peace in the midst of the difficult things that he's calling you to do. I want us all to learn to stand, to realize that we're at a crossroad, to recognize those moments. And as we take a breath, and we realize that God's sovereign and in charge, that he actually has input and ideas and dreams and hopes and plans for us,
If we learn to stand, if we learn to ask for the ancient path, learn to ask for the good way, and then we learn to walk in it, there's a promise of peace and rest for us. And I really believe that if we could do this, God would help us to make good decisions. They gotta help us to live ways, to tell stories years from now of God's faithfulness and goodness. And just a moment, we're gonna pray as we close, but I just wanna ask us a couple of questions. Maybe today you, you find yourself here and you realize that you have, um, I, I just have a sense that there's some of us in the room today that have some really, really big decisions. And we have to make them in the next few hours, in the next couple of days about like jobs, careers, family, these kind of things that can have real big outcomes. And I, and I just, I just, I just, this is a word for someone I think in the room. Don't get anxious. Trust the Lord. He's going to bring people to speak wisdom into your life, to help you with principles that can help you make this decision. You are not alone. For some of you, I have a sense that someone needs to have the courage to ask somebody to give them input on their decision making. It's not a sign of weakness to say, hey, can you help me make this decision? I need some input. That's a courageous thing. And then maybe some of us find ourselves today, we know the things of God. We know the ancient path. We know the good way. But we are stubborn and we want to go our own way. And I wonder if today, just as a step of faith and obedience, you say, all right, God, I surrender, and I'm going to walk in the path that I can't see the outcome, but I'm trusting, Lord, that you've got a good path and a good plan for me. And then just in a moment, we're going to pray. I just wonder if some of us today, we need to make the biggest decision in our life, and that's where we say yes to Jesus. And we say, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to, I've been going my own way. And I want to turn and I want to surrender my life to you. Can we pray, church? Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you have given us this free will. You've given us the ability to make decisions. But sometimes it can be so hard to know the right way to go. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would recognize the crossroad moments and we would stand Lord, and we would ask, and Lord, Lord, we would begin to walk the way that you have for us. Lord, for some of us in the room today, you're stirring our hearts, and you're realizing that we need to be right with you, God, that we are walking our own way. Lord, that the gospel needs to be true to us, that this Jesus that we talk about need to experience this grace of God. Lord, and that's you today. You, you know that, man, your heart's pounding. You know that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And you know that today is the day of salvation for you. Today's the day where you repent and say, I want to follow God. If that's you, we would just love you to be so courageous and raise your hand, not so that we can uh, recognize you or point you out, but just so that we can agree with what God's doing in your life. Anybody on my, my left, your right? Yeah, in the middle section here, anybody just say today's the day of salvation? Yeah, thank you. I mean, I see those four hands right there. Anybody else? Yeah, there you go. I see you, sir. Thank you so much. Six, seven, eight. Lord, thank you. Anybody here? Yeah, eight. I see you. Yeah, thank you for your courage. Anybody in the balcony? I don't want to miss you. Make sure you wave at me. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Thank you. As I move my way across, anybody just catch eyes with me. I want to just think, yeah, I see you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, thank you for changing hearts right now. Yes, sir, I thank you. Thank you. Thanks, God, for what you're doing. Lord, we celebrate. 
Lord, people's lives being changed. And now, God, for all of us on our journeys, Lord, we want to find the ancient path. We want to find the good way. And then, Lord, as we walk in it, I pray that there would be a peace and a rest that maybe some of us have never experienced before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we celebrate with 13 people who say yes to Jesus today for the first time? I'm so grateful. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're doing. Well, if that's you and you said yes to Jesus in the back of the room and out the balcony, we've got these big banners that say, I have decided. Would you go there, have the courage to talk to somebody? They'd love to help you in your journey, give you some resources. Can we stand together as we close? I tell my church every week that I love you and I believe in you. And I think Nate says, go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Would you go make great decisions? And remember, saw, stand, ask, and walk. God bless you. Have a great week. Hope to see you again soon.